Good afternoon. I want to continue these talks on uh, uh, jhana. <laughs> Today I want to continue the talk on uh, hindrances that uh, I, from the place where I left over yesterday, I was talking about the hindrance of uh, Greed. I did not complete it, although I said so many things about that is being the one of the most important subject. I said only very little about it, and there's much more to say. I'm not going to say everything even today. Uh, <coughs> the desire is, on the one hand, a hindrance. On the other hand, is a fetter that is uh, just like uh, ignorance is one of the major roots of our re- repetition of birth and death in samsara. But when you try to practice, uh, try to gain concentration, uh, of course we cannot overcome it and destroy it completely. But we have to temporarily suspend it to proceed with the practice of jhana meditation. And uh, in addition to those things that I have mentioned yesterday, today I want to mention the the things that uh, nourishes the root of uh, uh, desire. One is uh, unmindful reflection. Unmindful reflection start with uh, distorted perception. Distorted perceptions are four types. One, they are given in uh, our tradition, traditional Pali text. Asubhe Subhasanya. Aniche Nitya Sanya, Anate Atta Sanya, Dukhe Sukha Sanya. These are the four Pali phrases uh, used in Pali tradition to show how we have a distorted perception. This can be useful for our insight meditation as well as uh, tranquility or concentration meditation, if you remember them. First is uh, asubhe subhasanya, something which is uh, not actually uh, pleasant or uh, subha means uh, really pleasant. We something which is not pleasant, we make it a pleasant to our perception, it appears to very pleasant. For example, you take a skeleton and put a plastic, you know, the say the what those the rubber like thing you children use eh? silicon. Silicon Silicon, Mm. and all around it, or rubber itself, 
and put around it and make anything you want, any shape, any size, any color that you like and put uh, uh, rubber like gloves, you know, that same material, very thin, to make it look very pretty, beautiful. And it appears to be beautiful. <laughs> Although inside there is, a, you know, made of a, a various type of things like skeleton. And uh, either silicone or mud or something put and plaster or something to look plaster Paris or something and make it look beautiful. And every time you look at it, it it's very attractive, beautiful. <laughs> so anything appears to be beautiful is actually like this. And you peel of the take take of the rubber cover, plastic cover, <laughs> then you can see that it is something very attractive. But that is how we look at things. We always see that it is beautiful. In reality, it is not so. Now, the beauty or ugly depends on our unmindful reflection. If we uh, mindfully reflect, it is neither beautiful nor ugly. If we unmindfully reflect, it appears to be either beautiful or ugly. That is the beautiful of beauty of mindful reflection. Mindful reflection shows us things exactly as they are, neither beautiful nor ugly. So, uh, I think we mentioned in the past uh, an example of uh, hair on the head. Looks beautiful. And uh, this is no offense to anybody. <laughs> we just... <laughs> look at it realistically. So long as it is on the head, it, we, we can make it in a many different ways to <laughs> attract people. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, so we think it is beautiful. It is beautiful for, to, to look at. Uh, <laughs> that is why we spend so much time, energy, money, you know, making the cosmetic industry rich. <laughs> because there is a perception, belief that hair is beautiful. Isn't it? <laughs> but when that hair, one, one of them falls into your bowl of soup, <laughs> only one. <laughs> what would you do? Your own hair, you you know, fell into your bowl of soup. You don't like to eat it. <laughs> so, where is your perception of beauty? Go on, disappeared. 
But if you learn to be mindful and reflect on the reality of hair, whether it is on the head or in the bowl of soup, it is the same. Hair. It doesn't change, or it only changes the place of <laughs> place of uh, staying. Uh, one time it was on the head, next time in the bowl of soup. <laughs> when it is in the bowl of soup, it is ugly, unpleasant. When it is on the head, it is beautiful. This is what is called distorted perception. When you mindfully reflect, it doesn't matter where you, you remove it and put it away and eat your soup. Because you clean it and wash it and shampoo it. And <laughs> well, it, it is not that uh, dirty or infectious. <laughs> you have cleaned it. And after cleaning you comb it and one hair will stay on the head and when you bend down it falls on your soap. Perfectly alright to remove it and put it away and eat your soap. But our perception, we have conditioned ourselves to believe that once it is, when it uh, uh, gets loose and falls some on the food, it turns out to be optimist instantly. It turns out to be ugly, unpleasant, repulsive. Your own hair, <coughs> not somebody else's hair. <laughs> So, this is unmindful reflection uh, of uh, desire. When we mindfully reflect, desire is, I mean, you think that is beautiful, you are attached to it and so forth. When you mindfully reflect, it doesn't matter. You can remove it and eat. <coughs> uh, then, that is called Asubhe Subhasanya. Then, Anicce Nicce Sanya, something is impermanent, we think it is, it is permanent. Our skin, our face, our teeth, and all these things are impermanent. But when at certain point we think they are, they are permanent, but certain other point we see those things that we thought impermanent is impermanent, has changed. If we mindfully reflect, then we know whether we are young or old, this, our teeth, skin, flesh, appearance, all change. Impermanent. <coughs> That's why we are like this now. We were not like this when we were born. <laughs> we are so different. Now we are so different. That is called Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche Sanya, not Nietzsche, Aniche, Nietzsche Sanya. Aniche, Aniche Sanya. So we have to understand something impermanent is impermanent. That is another way looking at things to uh, reflect. Uh, on things to reduce our clinging, craving, desire. Especially when we meditate, we go to think like this. <coughs> and to get rid of this thing temporarily. 
If you can get rid of it permanently, that is the best. But if you cannot, at least temporarily, to put it away, we have to look at it realistically. Then, Dukkhe Sukha Sanya, something is impermanent, is necessarily unsatisfactory, but we don't see that way. We think anything impermanent is permanent, anything impermanent also is, uh, anything uh, impermanent we don't see as impermanent, sees as permanent. And therefore we have the notion of uh, satisfaction. It gives us permanent satisfaction. How can impermanent things can give us permanent satisfaction? It cannot. And the more difficult thing to overcome is anatte attasanya, the perception of non-self as self. That is the most difficult thing. <coughs> we come to that later on. Anyway, uh, so we learn to overcome this by uh, cultivating uh, the mindful reflection. <coughs> Second is uh, associating with wrong person. That is uh, not associating with the uh, right person or Kalyanamitta. Kalyanamitta is uh, uh, wonderful friend. In Pali, Kalyanamitta translated into English as good friend. The word good friend is not enough to describe this friend. We must say the best friend. Kalyanamitta is an excellent friend. Good is not enough. When we can't, when we have these three factors, we in mindfulness reflection and having this uh, good friend, we will be able to overcome our uh, desire temporarily. <coughs> and then, next thing we should do, we must talk to ourselves. Talking to ourselves is perfectly all right in order to overcome certain hindrances. Uh, we may not be able to overcome them permanently, but at least temporarily. <coughs> we must talk to ourselves. This thing is impermanent. If I cling to this, I will end up in pain. Why? Because when we think it is, imp- it is permanent and cling to it, when it disappears, we end up in frustration because we were holding on to it, thinking that it is permanent, then it disappears, then we will be unhappy. I cannot hold on to it forever. <coughs> this is how we have to talk to ourselves. I have no way to control it. This desire is impermanent too. The object we cling to is impermanent, and the desire that arises depending on the object also is impermanent. The satisfaction I get from this uh, 
is changing and impermanent. If I try to stop that change, I will end up with more pain and suffering than I have now. <clears throat> when I cannot control it and uh, make it stay the same all the time, giving me the same pleasure all the time, I will wind up frustrated and uh, disappointed. I'm subject to change. This thing I love is also subject to change. If I become immersed in this, I will lose my mindfulness. That is demeaning. I have struggled long and hard to achieve this mindfulness and life is too short. I have already enjoyed so many things in my life. None of them has ever given me permanent satisfaction and this won't either. Why should I sacrifice this uh, precious moment for the sake of this superficial, temporary satisfaction of this sensation uh, or sensual pleasures. <clears throat> I'm going to just stop thinking about this. It is a trap, a waste of time. So this is how we have to talk to ourselves to push it aside temporarily <coughs> and our uh, greed or attachment or clinging, craving as it arises. <coughs> then, uh, next thing we should do to overcome this particular hindrance is to go through uh, the understanding of the Noble Eightfold Path step by step. And that is a long process. However, that also is very important thing. So I mentioned so far sleepiness and drowsiness and restlessness and worry, desire. And there are two more uh, things to mention among hindrances. Uh, that is uh, doubt and ill will. Uh, <clears throat> doubt, I mentioned, are two types. One is <clears throat> emotional doubt. Uh, emotional doubt arises <clears throat> when the thought uh, arises in our mind regarding the Buddha and the Sangha. Remember, we have three refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. When we think of the Buddha and Sangha, emotional doubt can arise. Like, uh, uh, is Buddha really enlightened? Is it not possible that he is deluded? Is it not possible that he was crazy to give up his throne, kingdom, 
and run away <coughs> in search of something that is uh, uh, just a dream. Perhaps it is possible. This kind of doubt can arise in our mind. Secondly, the whole uh, community of Sangha that followed him, couldn't they be deluded and followed him blindly? And this kind of doubt arising, can arise in our mind. That is called emotional doubt. In order to overcome that kind of doubt, what should we do? <coughs> we have to think of the qualities of the Buddha. To think of the qualities of the Buddha, we have to know the qualities. <coughs> they are spread all over his teaching. Uh, his compassion, his wisdom, his understanding, his approach, the way he taught the Dhamma, and uh, without any reservation, he openly shared his knowledge with others, and without any reservation, <coughs> he is the one who said, when you uh, make, when you support with compassion and generosity, you support anybody you like. He did not say you support only me and my community. He said you support anything, anybody you like. Because the generosity has no limit and it has no labor. When we practice metta, there is no limit, no labor. There is no Buddhist metta, Hindu metta, Jewish metta, Christian metta, Hindu metta, Muslim metta, no like that. It is metta, loving friendliness for all living beings. Who can give this kind of teaching except a one who has attained full enlightenment? Similarly, practicing generosity. You, we must remember this thing. We must remember when Upali, one of the disciples of Jain, became Buddha's follower, came to uh, had a, came to have a discussion with the Buddha. Uh, at the end of the discussion, he declared, uh, uh, "Venerable Sir, at the very first simile you gave me, made me convinced that we are fully enlightened." Therefore, I want to follow you and please accept me as your follower. Then he said, <coughs> I have been following so and so. I never heard this sort of things and uh, I will go home. Then Buddha said, when he, when he said that uh, he wanted to follow him, Buddha said, you, Upali, has been a very famous person, known to everybody for your intelligence, your reputation, and your leadership in the community. 
A person like you should not make a quick decision like this. You go home and think. Then Upali said, Venerable Sir, I never heard of these kind of things. Whenever, if I went to another tradition and said that I wanted to become their follower, they would have taken me into the street in a procession, <laughs> telling the whole world that so-and-so, such-and-such a prominent leader, intelligent person, rich person, became our follower. He gave up the Buddha, came to us. But you asked me to go home and think. For this reason, I want to follow, I want to declare myself for the second time that I want to be your follower. Then he said, I go home and stop all my support to other teachers who, whom I had been supporting all along. Then Buddha said to Pali, how can you do that? They, they were depending on you for their livelihood all these years. When you stop their, your support to them, how are they going to live? Therefore, don't stop your support to them. You must continue your support. Then Upal said, Venerable Sir, I never heard of this thing. All alone I heard that people say that you ask people to give everything to you and your disciples. Now you are telling me, I hear with my own ears, asking me to go, home, go and sub continue my support to them. For this reason, I take refuge in you for the third time. He took refuge th three times in the Buddha for saying this wonderful, noble, very generous thing. Who can say that? All many religious leaders, they say, give to our religion, our leaders, support our temple, don't support them, they are not good. But here, Buddha says this, whenever we think of these things, we can see how supremely pure and clean his heart is, his mind is. Because he taught, he taught us, generosity is the inner born quality of all living beings. He wanted to promote it. And he said, if you want to go to heaven, <laughs> you have to do only three things. What are the three things? Satchang bhane, nakujjaya, dajjas dajjas pimpiyachito, Satchang bhane, speak the truth. Nakujjaya, don't get angry. Dajjas pimpiyachito, Give whatever you can be asked to anybody who asked. Doing these three things you can go to heaven. So anybody can go to heaven. You don't have to be a Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, anybody even without a religion. You can practice these three things and go to heaven. And Buddha said that. So, uh, 
this is the kind of things he taught. And therefore, whatever doubt arises in our mind, emotional doubt regarding the Buddha, when we think of these things, remember these things, our doubt slowly fades away, disappears, and we build up our confidence, trust in the Buddha's open, clear, pure, noble wisdom and compassion. And the Sangha, just purely because of this, they followed the Buddha and uh, uh, became his disciples. And therefore, I also want to be his follower, (laughs) become his disciple. So we get rid of that kind of doubt, emotional doubt, by thinking of the Buddha and Dhamma Asanga's qualities. There are nine qualities of the Buddha and uh, nine qualities of the uh, eight qualities of the Sangha and uh, six qualities of the Dhamma. Now, this is for emotional doubt. We think of the Buddha and the Sangha. What about the skeptical doubt that I mentioned yesterday? Skeptical doubt is the almost incurable doubt, incurable skepticism. How can we get rid of, temporarily get rid of that? Thinking of the qualities of the Dhamma. You know, skeptical doubt is regarding the Dhamma. Emotional doubt is regarding the Buddha and Sangha. These are persons, individuals, but the Dhamma is impersonal, uh, universal truth. Skeptics are more uh, philosophers. Philosophers don't uh, go after a person. They go after ideas, theories, which are impersonal. Uh, inanimate. So, uh, skeptics uh, will have doubt about the things that the Buddha taught. (coughs) They can uh, think, they believe, they disbelieve the Dhamma. And uh, they have this kind of uh, beliefs, uh, there is something called karma. Can there be something called karma? What does it mean? So you may doubt about it. Because you don't know what it is. You have not spent enough time to understand uh, karma. Therefore you say, it is just mere speculative thinking. And the karmic results, if there is no karma, how can there be karmic results? You don't believe in that. And uh, whenever whenever there is a karma, there also has to be karmic results called rebirth. Can there be a rebirth? Is it not some kind of uh, primitive thought? 
that can just, that is another doubt so people ask has any body taken rebirth samya come back and told us that so and so that i was so and so now i am here i was taken rebirth before i was like that now i am such and such has anybody come and told us so people say they have i have never met anybody the fact that somebody has not met someone like that doesn't prove that there is no rebirth because this person has not met somebody like that but there has been many other people who have met somebody like that who have come back and told them that there was a rebirth anyway the person who has not met somebody might say that i have not any proof to believe in that so that is another disbelief so they also can say ask was i in the past what did i become what will i be in the future will i ever exist in the future what shall i become in the future do i even really exist now what am i who am i how am i where does this being come from where will it go after death this kind of doubt can arise these are all regarding the dhamma and also doubts like this just waste of time this meditation and so forth it doesn't do any good but regarding these things you don't need any particular answer you can set aside and exp- you can build up your confidence in the experience you gain right now when you are practicing meditation you definitely gain some experience some results that alone is enough for you to stop this skeptical doubts when you practice metta for example very honestly sincerely you can see the results when you calm your mind you can see the results when you relax you can see the results when you don't agit- get agitated excited and remain peaceful you can see the results these results when you gain concentration you can see the re- results and these results themselves are enough for you to not to think about all these skeptical questions doubts and therefore that is the way of measuring the results of meditation people ask how do i know whether i have made progress in meditation or not i have been meditating for so many years but i don't know how i whether i make any progress or not this question also can arise how do you know whether you have made progress or not you can use your own current experience and compare it with the previous experience in the past you used to get angry very often now you are not getting angry so infrequently 
so frequently. You are getting angry very seldom. In the past you get uh, uh, upset, you became irritated any, by any little thing. Now you don't get irritated that much. In the past uh, you are impatient. Now you are more patient. In the past, uh, your understanding of things is not very good, very clear. Now you understand things better. In the past, you cannot relate to people easily. Now you can relate to people very easily. Uh, in the past, your communication was violent. Now you have uh, NVC, non-violent communication. <laughs> so, when you compare your current experience with the past experiences, you can see that you have made progress. In the past you could not sleep at all. Now you can sleep well. In the past you had a lot of nightmares. Now you don't have nightmares. And so forth, you can always gauge the results by comparing your present experience with the past. So that is enough for us to get rid of this kind of skeptical doubt regarding the Dhamma. All this Buddha has taught us <coughs> to see the results. Now, what is left out of five hindrances? I mentioned uh, sleepiness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, uh, greed, and then doubt, and uh, last is anger. I put them in this order for a particular purpose. The order is not mentioned, in, the list is not mentioned in this order. The list is mentioned as Kamaraga, Vyapada, Thinamidha, Uddhachukukucha, Vichikicha, that means first number one is uh, greed, Number two is hatred. Uh, number three is uh, uh, doubt. Number four, sleeplessness and drowsiness. Number five is uh, uh, number five is doubt. Uh, yes, greed, hatred, uh, then restlessness and worry. Uh, and uh, sleepiness and drowsiness and doubt. These are the way it is listed. But I change the order and put the uh, anger or hatred as last of the list. Why is that? We are practicing jhana. We want to practice jhana. When we practice jhana, one of the things that uh, helps us to gain jhana is metta, loving friendliness, the opposite of ill will, anger. Now, uh, when our will is ill, we call it ill will. Right? 
when the will is good, we call this good will. <laughs> when it is ill, sick, we have to treat it and take care of it. Uh, so, there are many, many things we have to do to get rid of ill will. In fact, this is one of the very difficult uh, hindrance to overcome because uh, any moment, any time, any tiny little thing can irritate us. During meditation, while meditating, somebody scratch. It can get irritated. Somebody sneeze, you can get irritated. Somebody cough, you can get irritated. Somebody move the cushion, can get irritated. Any tiny little thing can irritate you. And therefore, our senses are so sensitive. And therefore, as long as these sort of little things irritate us, it is difficult for us to gain concentration. And when mind is wandering here and there, we get irritated, upset. I'm trying so hard, you know, a dog is barking, we get upset, disappointed, irritated, angry. Uh, a child cries, a vehicle uh, conks the horn, we get upset, irritated. And so forth and so on, any tiny little thing can make us upset. And therefore, this particular hindrance is the last thing to overcome in order to gain concentration because other things we can relatively easily uh, subside, reduce, but this one stays on. So, <clears throat> there are many things to do to overcome ill will. As I said, when the will is ill, we have to... Uh, get rid of it in order to proceed with the practice. The first thing is we must uh, recognize it, aware of the illness of our will. That is, mind is not very healthy at that time. The temporary, uh, temporary ill health. Secondly, we feel the strength of anger, ill will. Sometimes it is just simple, ordinary irritation. If you do not take care of it, then it turns into anger, and then it turns into grudge and hatred and so forth. When something repeatedly happening, irritation repeatedly happening, then that irritation can become a source of anger. So at the very moment when we get irritated, we just take care of it. That is the easy to nip in the bud. But if we don't do it and allow it and becomes simply complacent, then it grows, mature, because we are not mindful of it. As I mentioned, mindful reflection is the most important, powerful thing to weaken any uh, hindrance. Then, unmindful reflection is the way to nourish the root of anger. When anger arises, we are like patients. Uh, 
when we are pay, when we are patient, we have to see uh, professionals to get rid of our sickness. And so, uh, one thing we should do. Uh, also, we take uh, precautions not always to associate with people who are angry. Friends, only when anger arises we cannot get rid of it right there, but we have to think of it before we get angry. Because when we get angry it is difficult to overcome, and therefore we have to prepare our mind thinking about it before we get angry. Anger arises not only while sitting on the cushion, anger arises when we are engaged in activities, meeting with people and doing various things, anger can arise. Those are the moments we have to train the mind and to uh, see uh, when we associate with people, to see whether this person is uh, irritating me, getting, making me angry, and I try not to get engaged in uh, uh, conversation, discussions and so forth. This is actually where real non-violent communication uh, makes sense. That means when we talk, we have to be very careful, mindful, not to say things to irritate ourselves or irritate others. Even though it is true, we have to say it in a very tactful, skillful, mindful way so that it would not trigger anger in other person and in us. So wise uh, consideration, wise uh, reflection in any situation is uh, very important. And also we, do, we should not play a, a, what you call interdependent role. For example, when somebody is angry, uh, it, is, it becomes like infectious. We also get angry. Uh, it's very easy when somebody does something with anger, says something with anger, for us to get angry, very easy. But at, that is the very important moment to remember, to, uh, to remain calm, relaxed, peaceful, and listen. One day Buddha and uh, his disciples were walking, and uh, uh, two other individuals of another tradition were following the Buddha and his disciples, and uh, the teacher of the other tradition was always uh, criticizing the Buddha, using all kind of wrong accusations, but his disciple was defending the Buddha. And uh, Venerable Ananda heard this conversation and reported to the Buddha. And that time Buddha said, Ananda, if you hear somebody insulting, accusing the Buddha, don't get upset. Don't support it. But just listen mindfully. 
and see whether the person tells the truth or not. If the person is falsely accusing the Buddha, if you get upset, angry, you cannot uh, rebut, uh, cannot uh, respond in a rational way. Therefore, you must listen very carefully without getting upset. And then, if the accusation is false, you can tell Mr. or Mrs. what you say is not true. Buddha is not such and such. This is the truth. Perhaps you have not heard the truth. You must have got this information from the third hand or fourth hand. But the reality is this. Without getting upset, with calm, relaxed state of mind, you must respond. That advice is good even to this 21st century. Not only for the you know, 6th century BC, but even the 21st century now, that advice is wonderful. This is what uh, uh, we, we, we call non-violent communication. You don't get upset, don't be angry. When you hear accusation, even against you or against somebody, we got to listen very carefully, patiently, and then respond rationally, mindfully. If we train like that every day, when we come to meditation, meditation becomes very easy. Because we have already conditioned ourselves, trained ourselves to remain calm, uh, relaxed, peaceful, to look at whatever is happening as it is happening, without getting upset. Uh, next thing we have to do <coughs> is uh, uh, to avoid such situation. Do some physical exercise. Physical exercise also is very good. Very good for general health as well as uh, I mean, good physical health uh, to make your blood circulation go very smoothly. Mental exercise is called effort, right effort. Uh, so, uh, using right effort to overcome uh, this particular hindrance called anger, is very strongly recommended by the Buddha. This is what is called make effort to overcome all the arisen unwholesome mental states. Uh, as I mentioned, there are many other methods to overcome them. This is one of them. And then uh, have a conversation with mindfulness and then after all these things, when it happens during uh, conversations, if uh, anger rises, you stop, take few deep breaths. I think that's very good. Count your breath from one to ten, ten to one, and take. It takes four minutes. 
you know, when you count from 1 to 10, 10 to 1, 1 to 8, 1 to 9, 9 to 1, uh, you watch, your, look at your watch, you takes four minutes. Four minutes is plenty of time. Uh, when you are upset, angry and so forth, to take deep breath and count. And during that time, you have very strong anger slowly fades away. When we train our mind like this, when we are not on the cushion, when we come to meditation, that experience, that training, that conditioning helps us again during meditation, when you have some uh, irritation. Uh, so to calm yourself, be uh, to relax, do that. And also, uh, periodically, uh, you may uh, consult your selected, chosen, excellent friend. And also determine to be an excellent parent to somebody else. You know, these two things, two sides is very important. One is to select an excellent friend to consult and then determine to be an excellent friend to somebody else. When you do that, you determine uh, my excellent friend gave me such and such an advice I also must learn to give such advice to another person. So this has a very powerful effect, triple effect. What does the excellent friend do? When you are upset, angry, disappointed, and go and complain to your excellent friend against someone who made you angry, upset, and so forth, Excellent friend would not put fuel to fire, saying, hey, you are right, he's so, he's wrong, he's, he did such and such thing, he deserves your punishment, and uh, do such and such, uh, beat him up and hurt him, do something to make him feel that you are angry and so forth. That person would not encourage you to retaliate that person rather would tell you, it would not cite the other person, but the person will tell you to be calm, relaxed, peaceful and tell, perhaps you may not know, that person may have a problem. That person's health may not be good. That person may have, some, may have, uh, may have had some uh, fight with somebody may have lost the job, may have lost money, may have a, a problem with the children, with the wife or husband, with relatives, and relatives' health may not be good, so forth and so on. You can find that excellent friend will find all kinds of reasons to give you to calm yourself, to settle your mind, to think very rationally. To excuse that person for doing what the person has done. I have a very little sort of a silly story to tell you of a monk 
he was very old and he always needed somebody to take care of him and uh, there were three or four temple boys this monk would uh, perhaps he need to go to bathroom and he needs some help to go to bathroom and he would call one of the boys I don't know their name, say, uh, boy, num- boy uh, X. And he would call several times, this boy doesn't show up. He's a teenager, he's just, uh, you know, doing his business, he doesn't care very much. He would not show up. Then this monk says, maybe he must have gone to bring water to wash the altar in the shrine room. So he excused this boy and called the next, the other boy and he also doesn't show up. Then he would say, he may be plucking flowers to offer to the Buddha image. And he excuses this boy and calls the next boy and he doesn't show up. Then he accuses him also giving some reason. He may be cooking breakfast. So he excuses. He called all the four boys and he also needs some help. He was very impatient. It is very painful, difficult for him to move, to move around. But he was such a wonderful monk that he gives excuses to all these four boys and bear up his own pain without ever getting angry. When these boys come one after another, sometimes they find him in a very painful situation and they feel very guilty and they all help him. And even then, even at that time, he would not ask, he asked them, what have you been doing? Why didn't you come when I called? Where were you? He would never ask those questions. He simply accepted their help and finished the job. You know, when we are in a difficult situation, this kind of training definitely helps us enormously, not only during meditation, but any other time. And therefore, this is not a simple training, not a joke. This is a very important training in our uh, meditation practice. And when we try to attain jhana, this kind of training would definitely help us to accelerate the attainment very easily. And I can't do this talk tomorrow, the, you know, finishing up and uh, launching onto jhana itself. <laughs> That's <a whole laughs> preparation. Now, each point I, I, I mention is very important to remember when we try to practice jhana because when we know what to do, when we try to practice jhana, then it becomes very easy. 
otherwise we will struggle you know just one andha gajovia in pali just like uh, the blind elephant you know stumbling over every tree in the forest blindly we are uh, trying to find out the solution to our problems if we do not know the the solutions that is why i put all this the cards in front of you <laughs> for you to <laughs> uh, use uh, and tomorrow i will get into this <laughs> continue the talk